My name is Keith Beavers, and I found out that so much pink paint was used in the Barbie film that there was an, actually an international shortage of pink paint. That's awesome. What's going on, wine lovers from the Vine Pair Podcasting Studios? This is the Vine 101 Podcast. My name is Keith Beavers, and I am the Tastings Director of Vine Pair. Today, we're going to talk about a subject that I'm really excited about, the scale of wine and how to keep quality when you're scaling up production. I found an expert in the field. His name is Scott. We're going to talk. Is there anything a Fry Brothers Cabernet Sauvignon cannot do? From perfecting last-minute weeknight dinner parties to providing a luxe experience without breaking the bank, it's no wonder it's one of the most sought-after wines in the United States. You cannot go wrong with this quality of Cabernet Sauvignon. Okay, wine lovers, this is exciting for me because what I love about doing this is I don't know where anybody is on their wine journey, but I know they have to start somewhere. And usually when you start somewhere, you start with wine that's affordable. And usually you find that wine either in a supermarket or the affordable wines of a wine shop. These are called scaled wines with a high production rate. So how do you maintain quality when you're making wines at this scale? Scaled wine has come a long way, especially with the organic movement and the sustainable movement. So I thought I would talk to Scott Kozell, who's the head winemaker at Fry Brothers in California for Gallo. Also, he is in charge of the entire northern coastal rate, uh, part of California for winemaking. And I want to talk to him because I've been to his facility and it's phenomenal. And I want to talk to him about how all this is done. So join me as we drop into the conversation with Scott about how to maintain quality with scaled wine. This year's a little later, cool spring, a little wet spring, uh, cool June, uh, but July's warmed up, which is great. Uh, August has been warm. So yeah, we're probably... Two weeks away from actually getting rolling. So it's, you know, uh, August 7th today. So maybe by the August 21, August 25, somewhere in that neighborhood, we'll start, things will start picking up. So, and when we're talking about harvest here, where, where are we talking about? Where are you in California? What harvest are you concerned about? So I'm thinking coastal California. So think Napa, think Sonoma, think, uh, San Luis Obispo or Paso Robles, um, and then I'm actually talking about Washington at the same time. Um, you know, as we were talking earlier, I'll be up there later this week. Um, they're running right about the same pace right now as California. Uh, so they've had a really warm uh, summer. So they, they've moved quickly through the, through the season. So they're, they're moving along well. That's cool. So you and I are here to talk about a couple really cool things. And yeah. one of the yeah. one of the things I want to talk is, is about where you are, the Fry Brothers. Yep. Yep. Um, I've been there. I think it's a phenomenal place. I think it's a really fascinating place. And um, why don't you, you're not a Fry Brother, right? I am not. Okay, just I making sure. No, 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 no. Okay. So maybe yeah, explain what we, what we got, what's going on here. <laughs> So look, the Fry Brothers, um, you know, we're, we're real people at uh, <laughs> one point in the past. And so, you know, they, they started 
you know, growing grapes and crafting wine here in California, specifically Sonoma and the Dry Creek Valley, uh, back in the 1890s. Oh. Um, and in preparation today, I started leafing through my files, and I actually found, I kid you not, the ledger what? for ranch expenses, 1891 is what that one says. What? So that I've is... got the ledger from all the expenses and planting the vineyard, you know, 130 years ago. That's or whatever awesome. it was. So, yeah, really cool place, um, steeped in history, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the Dry Creek Valley, you know, really f- focused on reds predominantly in the early years, uh, still today. Um, the vineyards we farm that were originally farmed by the Fry brothers uh, are still predominantly reds. Um, slightly warmer climate in the Rush River Valley, so Dry Creek Valley. So, um, but yeah, the Fries and they founded the winery 1890s, um, passed it down for a few generations, um, and then the you know er, um, Julio Gallo started working with them in oh probably the early. 1940s, uh, maybe late 1930s, 38, 39, 40, 41, um, and purchasing the grapes and also purchasing crush capacity, meaning, so we'll buy your grapes, you crush them, we will buy, you know, the resultant wine once we get to that point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did that for, oh, 30, 35 years. And then the mid 70s, was, you know, the fries were ready to get out. They're like, look, we've had enough. I'm like, awesome. We'll buy the place. Uh, so Ernest and Julio purchased the winery, purchased the vineyard land at that point in time, uh, purchased some other vineyards they had around the county in the Russian River Valley and elsewhere. Um, and then, you know, from then on, we, we've, we've been operating the facility. So you've been gr- – so the Fry Brothers as a um, as a property has been growing the whole time. I mean, you didn't oh, – yeah. so you've just been exponentially growing a little bit at a time, buying more or taking on more vineyards, taking on more varieties, primarily red wines. But how yeah. big are we talking today? So the Fry Ranch itself, which is in the Dry Creek Valley, is about 600 and change planted acres. Okay. So pretty good size. The property, I think, is, you know, right around 2,200, 2,300 acres. Um, So three or four times that big. Uh, So a lot of uh, land we've preserved in perpetuity. Um, It's great natural habitat, um, you know, wildlife, uh, viaducts and stuff like that. Um, So, but, but, but planted acres is right around 600, 650. Depending on what we've got in replant, what we don't have in replant. And what, what varieties are you playing around with over there? Principally Cabernet Sauvignon, cool. uh, more Cab than anything else. Uh, we've got some Zinfandel, some Petite Syrah, a little bit of Malbec, a little bit of Petit Verdot. Um, I'm trying to think. No Italian varieties planted right now. A little bit of Merlot. Um, those, are the, those are the principal ones, but it's really Cab and Zin that are, you know, the heavy lifters uh, on that particular property in the Dry Creek Valley. So, you know, one of, one of the things about this place that, it's it's a fascinating place that you have there. Um, it is. It and is. what I love about what you guys do there is, you know, this is what we call when we're when we're talking about the the facility that you guys have and the wines, the the, the amount of wines you guys make. You make wines, you make enough wines of each product so that the distribution of those wines can That's right. really distribute around the world, around the world, right. the, the United right. States and around the world. Um, and this facility, which is just one of the most, one of the coolest things I've ever seen in my life. It's, it's a way, it's this wonderful, most, it's the most, uh, it's focused, I think is, is a word I'm coming up with. And 
it, it did the, the, the facility was the facility always there or have you been building and building and building this facility as you've needed to and as you've grown? No, absolutely. So the, the, the you know the, the winery a let me phrase that a winery has been in place for probably over a century. Okay. The winery as you see it today, as you experienced it, the oldest part of it, the oldest tank, is probably the early 70s. So 1973, I think. And the, the, the oldest tank was actually the first stainless steel tank in Sonoma County. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. really so, cool. So, you know, previous to that, most of the tanks were redwood, quite frankly. You'd have you know thirty thousand gallon tanks that are made of wood. I mean, wow. thirty thousand good sized vessel, um, but made of wood. And so you know, over the last you know say fifty years, there's been that transition away from wood uh, into stainless steel, much more modern uh, methods of construction. Um, you know, for sanitation reasons, for you know longevity reasons, um, off flavor reasons, that kind of stuff. Um, we've all moved to stainless steel. That's really taken place over the last five, uh, 50 years. Um, you know, as recently as 25, 30 years ago, we didn't store barrels there. There were no barrels in place. Really? It was only, 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 only upright cooperage, only stainless cooperage. Um, and the barrel cellar we, we constructed about 25 years ago, finished constructing in 1996. And you saw that. I love that. Um, I don't want to talk about that to some point. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's impressive. It's, it's impressive. impressive. It's a, it's a lot like that final scene in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, good you know, idea. Yes. Where you've got the, you know, the, 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 <laughs> you know, the kind of the, the, you know, Department of Antiquities guy. Yes. And, and, and Harrison Ford says, you know, but, you know, where are you storing it? He says, don't worry, we've got top men on it. And they show this scene of, you know, thousands of fake arcs in, in this warehouse. It looks a bit like that. Yeah, but nothing's fake there. It's all nothing's real wine there. and nothing's it's all beautiful there. barrels and it's just phenomenal. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's That's right. So right. 55,000 of those beautiful barrels. That's amazing. It's what we can store. That's um, amazing. That, that's our maximum capacity. So what, I, what I love about, what I love about your facilities, when you walk onto the property, you're looking at this, like you said, the upgrades throughout the years, you can actually see the upgrades in the facility. You can watch the, the history of kind of American wine innovation happening right there in front of your eyes. You watch. And what I, what I really found amazing, this is something that I will always take away that I love so much is you showed us this, the, so what happens is you have a significant amount of varieties coming in, a significant amount of grapes and wines coming into the uh, juice, coming into this facility. And what something you told me that really blew my mind is the wine world, and this is what I, I've, I've, you know, we know this from back from Charles Krug taking a cider press and using it for, for, for wine grapes. You're utilizing technology from other industries that work with the wine industry. I just blows my mind. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, you, you probably saw our white press area where we've got, you know, two sets of 12 presses, um, which by the way, were designed purposely. The, the original drawing had 24 presses in a semicircle, which is great, mm -hmm. except you've got a single point failure. Your crane goes down, your belt goes down, you now are down 24 presses. Whereas if you separate them into two, which is what we did, so two, two fans of 12 each, um, we have redundancy. So we've, we've built in this concept of, hey, the priority is the grapes here. It's not about saving money on capital. It's about making sure the grapes flow awesome. into the winery in a timely fashion. So as you saw, the, 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 the trucks you know, 
you know, dump on the grapes, dump on, drop onto a, a belt system. And that's what we came up with as, you know, if you can imagine the most gentle way to handle grapes is to pick them up and, you know, carry them out to the, the press and maybe put them in. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what this does. And we, we, we borrowed this technology from the mining industry because that's how they move mining or, or, or for mining is they, you know, you, you the trucks, you know, dump onto a, a conveyor belt and the belt sweeps it away because you can move significant material quickly in a very gentle way. Not that the mining guys are concerned about gentle. Right. <laughs> it's your but, job. But, to, yeah. but, but we saw that and we're like, oh my gosh, this is like picking up the you know grapes and moving them to the press and, and then dropping them in. Amazing. And, and so we, we borrowed that. And if you, you go out there and if you were a mining guy, you'd go like, hey, this is these, these ore belts. You're like, no, 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 these this. are grape belts. <laughs> so it's really, really cool the way we, we, we've executed that. Um, and that, was, that went into place, oh, probably in the late 90s. I'm going to say 1990. Oh, four ninety-five is when we finished construction of that part. Um, and then more recently, we've we've you know really really you, know, you look around your own life and you know you probably I we've got these things all over the place. Yeah, phones got, everywhere, you know, and, and we're connected to everything. Yeah. And in the early two thousands, we're like, okay, this is the wave of the world, and so we started connecting all of our tanks into you know larger computer systems so we can see them. And I remember it was probably 2003, 2004. I'm talking to, to Bob Gallo. So Gina Gallo's dad, uh, Julio Gallo's son. And I'm asking for, you know, millions of dollars to construct these tanks. And I said, you know, a key piece of it is the control scheme and our ability to operate this quite frankly from anywhere in the world. And he looks at me, he goes, so your winemakers are going to be making wine from the desk? I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Not that at all. Not that at all. It gives them the ability to execute controls like immediately. So we went from a world where you go out and you kind of, you, 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 you t- we do what's called, you taste the tank, the wine in the tank. So you go out there during fermentation, you taste it, you go, oh, it's tasting great. It needs some more extraction. Maybe we need to, you know, do more punch downs or more pump overs. Maybe it needs more temperature or it's over extracted. Slow down the pumps, slow down the pump overs, drop the temperature, whatever it might be. Um, but old school uh, at that point in time, so this is 20 years ago, was, okay, hold on. Let me get out, you know, let me get my notebook out. Right. Let me, t- let me take a note. Wow. Right down, you go tank to tank. You're taking notes. Tank one, tank two, tank three, tank four. Yeah. Four, four hours later, you get to your office and you type that all into the computer. You give it to the the seller team, you know, at the end of the shift, say, hey, can you guys get these done this, you know, tonight? Can we double the pump overs on this one, drop the temperature on that tank, you know, stop doing that over there. They're like, man, I got, I got 50 jobs in front of me. Shh, shh, I'll do what I can. I'll do what I can. Hopefully by tomorrow morning. You're like, oh, awesome. <laughs> so you're 20 hours, 20 hours into this discussion. Fast forward to your phone. You taste the tank and you're like, oh, hold on. I need to increase the temperature. Beep, 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 beep. Right. Uh, we need to pump over more. Hold on. Yep. Now I'm pumping over twice as often. Increase the temperature by five degrees. We're good to go. And so it's this immediate feedback loop. You're able to execute changes, make adjustments in a real-time basis, very much the way we all operate today with our phones and our computers, where we're making adjustments to our travel schedules or to our grocery list, or to, to our Amazon order, whatever it might be. We're applying the same concept within the winery to get immediate feedback, immediate response, immediate changes. I mean, I feed my cats. I can feed my cats from California. You know, I mean, I, right. you know, exactly. it's, it's a wonderful exactly. thing. It's a wonderful yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. It's awesome. Your cats appreciate that. Yeah. And what I found really interesting, what you were saying is you never stop tasting. Just because right. the technology is involved doesn't mean you stop tasting no. the tank, right? 
That's right. hundred percent. Cause that, look, that's your, that, that, that's the only feedback back mechanism you have. Yeah. You know, you can measure, you know, pH or whatever, you know, color and which is great, mm-hmm. but like uh, consumer doesn't care about that. I mean, they, they don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really boils down to what's the consumer experience. How does the wine taste? Cause that's what we deliver, you know, at the end of the process is a sensory experience, hopefully enjoyed and, you know, m- m- key moments in somebody's life. So dinner with friends, whatever. No, it's awesome. And, um, those wines, I can't wait to talk about those like that Chardonnay. But, um, so one thing I think is very fascinating about your, about your production and, and like just the, 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 the sheer scale of it is yeah. when you actually start bringing these grapes in and when you're bringing such a large amount in, what are the kind of protocols you guys use to maintain the quality of the varieties while they're coming to the actual yep. facility? Yep. Yep. Great question. And so anytime we does, we jump into a new part of the facility or a new tank or a new vessel or new, whatever, a new process, we, 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 we attempt to look at it from the grapes perspective. Mm-hmm. What's their experience? My, my observation is, is neat and interesting, but who cares, but how does it affect the grape? How does it affect the wine? And so, you know, when, when and you, you, you've seen our white presses where we have 12 of them lined up and, you know, you can access one, then two, then three, then four, then five. Um, and we, we piped it or plumbed it, if you will, um, such that we can bring grapes in in random order. Oh. First tank can be Riesling or the first press or, lo, or I'm sorry, truck can have Riesling in it. And the next one is Russian River Shard. And the third one is Sauvignon Blanc and then Pinot Gris. Oh, and then by the way, some more Sauvignon Blanc. And what that allowed us to do was speed things up, meaning the truck doesn't come in and go, oh, hold on. We're not doing Russian River Chardonnay. Go park over there in the sun oh. for four hours. No, 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 no. Cross it's, your fingers. You're, you're in the, you're, that's right. That's right. Cross your fingers. Hopefully it doesn't get too hot. Hopefully yeah. it doesn't start fermenting, whatever. Um, instead, grapes come in. They get you know, pressed immediately. And they're on their way to the tank and then ultimately on their way to the barrel the following morning. And so it allows us to streamline that type of activity very much the way a small winery would. I mean, if you're a small winery, it is, and I've worked in small wineries, when a grape truck shows up, it is all hands on deck to get the grapes off the truck, to get the grapes either through the distemmer into the press such that they can be put away safely into the, t- into the tank as quickly as possible. And that's exactly how we approached all of our work when we started to retrofit and redesign the winery over the last 30 or 40 years. That's amazing. I just, that's so cool because it is the grape. That's the most important thing. And the fact that you use a small winery mentality for such a scale is just, it's fascinating. Are there certain kind of, um, kind of, uh, uh, quality control protocols you use once, once you're in the winery and actually making the wine. I mean, I guess the computer system is a really great way of doing that. Cause even though you're monitoring the varieties with your palate, you can actually scale up or down pH levels, everything you can do for pH levels and all that. But is there yeah. anything else you guys are doing in that big facility? It's huge. It's just so it's, it's, it's like a, uh, it's like a testament to like technology. It's just like a beautiful industry technology thing. It's beautiful. No, it, it, you know, you're absolutely right. Uh, and as a former mechanical engineer, I find it particularly interesting. Nice, that's, yeah. that's a personal thing. <laughs> um, you, you know, one of the things, again, that we're able to see is temperature. Because I think temperature is so critical during the fermentation and during aging, quite frankly. Um, and during shipping, and during, you know, <laughs> temperature consumption. <laughs> okay, so temperature matters. So we'll, 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 just, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just agree, yeah. temperature matters. Okay. Um, 
you know, again, that's all controlled. You know, I can control my computer. I can control my phone, whatever it might be. I can monitor it. I can see when things aren't going well. I can see equipment shutting down inadvertently. Uh, temperatures getting out of control. Um, so for say Chardonnay, you're talking about Chardonnay. You know, I could ferment it, say 60 degrees Fahrenheit. I'll have more of a citrus characteristic, maybe, maybe a freshly picked, a slightly unripe pear or apple characteristic. Or I could ferment it at 80 degrees. By the way, if I do it at 60, it probably takes two to three weeks to ferment. Mm-hmm. Or I can do it at 85 and it takes about six days, five days. Mm-hmm. Um, and the characteristics at the end of it are going to be more of a baked apple, a baked pie character. So I can make two different wines based on the temperature I choose to ferment. So temperature control during fermentation is critical. That's amazing. Uh, That's amazing. We we'll do that across the board. And, you know, Chardonnay is so malleable. It's so cool. It's like, you know, the Chardonnay is like a, the juice is like, look, I'm here to do some work. Just tell me what you want me to do. You know, right. I'm, right. I can mallow. I can not mallow. I can, That's right. That's I right. can do a little oxidation if you want, not oxidation. <laughs> you, can, you know, because the wine like wants you to like, as long as the quality is there, the wine wants you to do whatever it wants you to do. That's right. That's right. And I think you're, you're right. You know, Chardonnay is uniquely receptive to um, choices, right. you know, choices in the vineyard choices in the winery, uh, choices on oak and how you choose to age it. So all those things, I think, leave a, I find, fascinating and indelible thumbprint on the wine itself. So I, it's pretty cool that all those things play out, particularly with Chardonnay. Yeah, and I, what I find this facility was so wonderful is like you're looking at this place, when we were walking around it, the 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 actual tanks and everything that are outside, it's just because California, like it, it's this, the weather's beautiful all the time. And, yeah. you know, but it's kind of unassuming because the minute you walk into this door, you're in this, like you said, you're in the Indiana Jones situation here. You have this beautiful tasting room. And then you look off into this, you're on this mezzanine and you look off into how many barrels did you say? (laughs) That's right. We we can store as many as 55,000. Right now we've probably got uh, high 20,000. So 27, 28,000 is what we've got there today. And, And the thing is like, okay, two things. What was going on before you had all this room? Where were the barrels? So that's great. So, you know, so this 1996, the, and, and you, you and I are, you know, uh, experienced enough, mature mm-hmm. enough, I won't say old enough, uh, <laughs> right. mature enough, and uh, experienced enough to, to remember, you know, the Gallo Sonoma brand. Um, and it was a brand that was heavily reliant on barrels, all barrel aged, all barrel fermented. Um, and it was big. And so before we launched that brand, we had to build the facility that could house those barrels. So this is, you know, mid nineties, you know, construction starting in uh, 94, finishing up in 95, 96 um, with the 96 vintage being the first one to go into that, that, that barrel shay. Um, so it was, we had to build the facility, build the equipment, build that part of the winery to allow that product to be made, not allow us to craft oh, that wine the way we wanted to craft it. Right. So this um, is just another example of growing. Like your guys are growing. Right, so you right, have to do things to, to with purpose. That's right. Yeah. So, yep. and, and this is like a pretty much, you're, we're underground here. We're <laughs> subterranean, right? Is the roof grass? Am I right here with That's that? Right. Did you guys play, you guys play sports on the grass roof or something like that? We absolutely do soccer specifically. <laughs> it's, a soccer, it's, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like a pitch. It's yeah, like a yeah. soccer pitch. And underneath, yeah. when you're, you're looking at this, so is this thing, it, this, I would assume subterranean, is it naturally temperature controlled or do you, do you guys like work with the temperature there as well? So we, we do have uh, HVAC systems, um, less on the H side. We don't have any heating. We have <laughs> ventilation and AC. And the way we operate is so like, uh, 
tonight. Tonight it'll be down in the mid fifties here in Northern California. Um, we'll draw nighttime air in during this evening oh. uh, to keep the barrel shake cool. And then, you know, it's set to 58 degrees. And if it gets to 58 during, you know, the daytime, like today or something, it's supposed to be 95. Um, we will start to apply some air conditioning at that point in time. That's amazing. So we, do, we do have the ability to do it. We try and minimize as best we can by using, you know, outside air. Uh, but we do have the ability to do it. So this is what's so wonderful about this is because I was able, when I was there, you know, I'm looking at this facility. I'm like, this is absolutely phenomenal. And I'm just like, How's the wine? Let's talk, let's try let's try this wine. Just like how does this even work? And we you sat with us and we tasted through all the wines, and I'm just it's just awesome how the the, the consistency of quality yep. is just so legit. It was just like, okay, I get it. This is amazing. This is technology. This is American innovation. This is the way we make wine for every day here. Like you guys make wine on a level, it's 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 you know, you you have this. What I love about this is like the American wine culture, it, wine for us is like a Tuesday night, you know, and, yep. and the yep. wines you guys make have that quality, that, that, that sort of like not, it's not casual, it's balanced. How many of these wines do you make? So uh, in that facility, so, so the Fry Winery or Fry Ranch Winery that you visited, um, we probably bottle all, all in about two and a half million cases um, of probably six or seven different brands. And then, you know, three or four wines within each brand. So we're talking, you know, 30, 35 different unique wines that we craft at that winery. So this is what's, this is what, this is what I find a triumph is that we are at an age where you can actually produce that amount of wine yep. and you have the ability to monitor the production of these wines in a way that you're not losing any ground. That's right. You know, you That's don't right. have to wait 20 hours for the notes to come in and then have them maybe do it tomorrow <laughs> or overnight. You know, you literally <laughs> have an right. ability to actually have all these wines so that when they do go out to the market, they're exactly how you want them to go out into the market. hundred percent. 100%. That's exactly right. And, you know, as we've you know alluded to over the last, you know, 10 or 15 minutes, I mean, a lot of that's by design, but then there's also, you know, okay, now how do you want, you know, you've got the equipment you've got, which is great. How do you want to employ it? How do you deploy your workforce, your seller team, your lab teams to do that? Um, and it's interesting. I mean, the, the, the fact that we have some scale is helpful, by the way. Uh, the amount of time, effort, energy to sample a, say, 25,000 gallon tank is the same amount of time, energy, to sample a 2,000 gallon tank. Right. So, you know, you still got to run your analytics, you still got to pull sample, you still got to do all that stuff. So a lot of that stuff's fixed in a constant and we're able to leverage scale at that point. Um, but on the winemaking side, when we think about choices, because that, that is how I view winemaking, it's all about information, input, and then choice output. Right. How you want to manage those things. Um I think there we scale is no longer your friend. Um, it's all about information in and information back out. And we make sure that the information we're getting, whether it's, you know, a very large tank or small tank or is equivalent to how we behave at a smaller winery. So I, I mean, I, I cut my teeth in a, in a small winery that does uh, probably one thirtieth the size we are today at Fry. So it's about that scale. One thirtieth. Um, that's, a, that's a big... 
It's a lot. Big yeah. difference. Big difference. Big difference. <laughs> I, I filled all the barrels by hand. I, I was in the Jeez. cellar. I mean, filled the barrels by hand. I cleaned the press every night. Wow. Um, but we make those same decisions. You know, the harvest decision is still made um, with an eye to what's in the best interest of the grapes. Um, you know, we, we were talking earlier about, you know, potentially rain happening in October. What happens then? The answer is you, you start picking and you pick very quickly. Um, and we move from a, you know, bring grapes in from, you know, six in the morning to six in the evening, five or six days a week to 24 seven. You know, we, we ramp it up. If there's going to be great, you know, rain in, in the forecast, we, we change our operating behaviors. We change our choices. You know, I, I might've left the grapes on the vine another week, but if it's raining tomorrow, I'm pulling them in. Right. And that's the same choices smaller places would make as well. Um, and so we're making those same choices because it's the quality decision to make. And that's, it, 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 that's awesome. You've got sprint capacity to make it work. I, I just think it's so great because when it comes down to it, it's like I've talked to so many winemakers in my career and it literally just comes down to that initial yeah. Yeah. thing, information in, right. information right. out, whether it's, a, whether it's being made in an urban environment where the grapes are coming in from like yep. to like right. Berkeley or whether it's a small winery in, in, in Temecula, you know, or right. it doesn't That's matter. Right. It's about the information that you get and what you do with that information. And what's really 100%. amazing about these wines 100%. is like when I'm tasting them, you know, I, I taste wines for a living and I am very, I have to be very, um, very uh, sensitive to anything inside of anything a wine gives me. Yep. And when I was at your facility and I tasted your wines, I do talk about the Chardonnay because it really blew my mind, but all the other wines we tasted were great. Yep. It's just when you taste it, like there's nothing here. This is great. This is good. This is exact. how it's just, it's something that we don't really think about in the United States. So when the wine comes mm -hmm. to the table, we don't understand really where it comes from. And to know that, the wines from this large facility with that large number of wines being made and that many different wines being made, that that kind of quality control is just like any small winery anybody would spend <laughs> hundreds of dollars on a bottle on. That's, that's, a, that's a triumph. That's, a, that's really yep. awesome. Yep. Well, thank you so much. That's, that's very, very nice of you to say. But, but you're absolutely right. And, you know, at a small winery, look, you can, you can imagine in the extreme, a small winery is you. That's it. You're the one employee. Right. You're making all the decisions. And you probably do about 15 tons a year because you personally cannot handle more than that. Right. Um, you know, and as we, you know, bring in more grapes or grow a little bit, we, we staff up appropriately. So, you know, I've, we've got a couple of teams of winemakers that work at the facilities, you know, so there's a winemaker an associate wine or me, assistant winemaker, enologists who are focusing on one team focuses on Burgundian varietals. So they're looking at the Pinot Noir, Chardonnay's another team is focused on the board right. varietals. They're working on, Saint Blanc, and they're working on uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, and they're working on Merlot. Um, and but they're very focused on what they're doing. Um, I think overwhelmingly, they've all worked at small places as well, so they they know the the ins and outs, the details, the choices to be made, the information to be gathered, uh, and how to integrate all that. Um, so I think that's that's and that's how you have to think about it: is as you grow, how do you continue to um, make smart decisions, make decisions that are quality focused, make decisions that are in the best, uh, interest of the grape of the finished wine, uh, of the style you're trying to achieve. Um, and you, you've, you've got to resource it appropriately, whether it's, whether it's tanks or whether it's people or, you know, lab services, uh, all the above. I personally find it 
just awesome that there's not one person making decisions about many different grapes at once. You know, I think it's so great that you have like, look, uh, we're doing, that's I like that. That's awesome. You have these categories and you have people like, yeah. look, I know this category. Yeah. Let that's me right. work in this that's category. Focus right there. That's right. Yeah. It allows them to focus on, I make Pinot Noir right. from the Russian River Valley and I know the that grape. I know that region. I know the growers. Um, I know the land. I know the vines. And they become experts in their field. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah, 100%. Scott, this has been a really cool, I'm so glad we got to talk again. It was a really great That's seeing you a couple enjoyable. of years ago. I can't wait to come back out, but I, I really thank you for taking the time to talk to me and kind of shine a light on what we do here. Like this is like, you know, the United, this is, this is American wine. And I think it's just wonderful to kind of see the kind of, you know, the, the maintenance and the quality and what is actually the technology being used while still always being about the variety and the grapes. That's right. That's awesome. right. Maintaining quality uh, first and foremost, you know, regardless of the scale, whether you're doing 50 cases or 50,000 cases. Right. Uh, and that, that, that's key. And I think, you know, look to the, to the, to the um, credit of the industry as a whole, I think we've done a good job of keeping that in mind. Um, so I, I'm certainly proud of it. You I know, agree. Much less the industry. Thanks a lot, man. Thank you, Keith. Well, there you have it, guys. Innovation, taking things from other industries to use to make sure everything's quality driven. Starting in the vineyard like any other winemaker would, this is how wine is scaled in the United States today. So I just want to give you guys a little snapshot into how this all happens because we all start somewhere on our journey and these wines are sort of the stepping stones of the, well, the first stepping stones of that journey. So... Okay, guys, next week, we're getting science -y. Let's get science -y. Vine Pear Keith is my Insta. Rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps get the word out there. And now for some totally awesome credits. Wine 101 was produced, recorded, and edited by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the Vine Pear headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon for creating Vine Pear. And I mean, big shout out to Danielle Grinberg, the art director of Vine Pear, for creating the most awesome logo for this podcast. Also, Darby Seaside for the theme song. Listen to this. And I want to thank the entire Vine Pear staff for helping me learn something new every day. See you next week. EMJ Gallo Winery is excited to sponsor this episode of Vine Pears Wine 101. Gallo always welcomes new friends to wine with an amazing wide spectrum of favorites ranging from everyday to luxury and sparkling wine. Gallo also makes award-winning spirits, but this is a wine podcast. Whether you are new to wine or an aficionado, Gallo welcomes you to wine. Visit thebarrelroom.com today to find your next favorite, where shipping is available.